when you first got to the varsity football team at Pasadena, Sam Rayburn, who was the first person to bust your butt and welcome you to varsity football? Well, I, uh, I, I remember pretty vividly. It was our first, uh, inner squad scrimmage, you know, after you've done back then you did your four days in shorts and t-shirts and then you get right after it, like on the Saturday morning practice. And, and, uh, we had a, I was, I was a junior. I had made the varsity. Um, we played both ways when I was at Rayburn. And so I played quarterback. Um, and I was, I always tell the, the kids, I, the kids, I, um, coach that I played quarterback and I practiced defensive back because I didn't get in the game very often there. Uh, but it was like, you know, one offense versus the two defense. So I was on the two defense, uh, Donnie Fricks played running back. He ended up going to the Naval Academy and I don't, I don't even remember the play. I just remember trying to come downhill and fill the alley and he ran me over. I feel like he stepped on my chest probably for a touchdown, you know, and I remember the, you know, the offensive coaches going wild and me, me looking back going, okay, well, here we are. <laughs> this is, this is legit. This is how this goes. So, uh, I don't think I, I made a whole lot many more tackles after that, after that, but uh, I did, I did enjoy practicing over there on defense. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind and sharing them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind and sharing them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind and sharing them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough. I'm just fine. All right, welcome back to another brand new episode of the Team Player Podcast. This is episode number 24. This is a very special episode I've been waiting a long time for. This guy in his first year at the helm of the Seven Lakes Spartans football team, he made school history. He delivered the school's first ever win against the bitter crosstown rivals of Cinco Ranch, and he punched their ticket for their first trip to the state playoffs. What do you do for an encore after that? Well, he just kept on winning against that Maroon team, and then he earned two more trips to the playoffs after that. He is the head football coach and campus athletic coordinator at Seven Lakes High School and my good friend. Welcome, Jimmy Hammond, to the show. All right, if you are a part of the team player movement, please make sure you have given us a five-star review. It takes 10 seconds, but that helps us so much. We've got quite a few on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so please do that. Also, word of mouth helps. Just tell a friend. I mean, really, we've kind of grown this organically. I'm just one man here in my in my office i don't have a marketing team it's just me so please spread the word organically we get lots of positive feedback uh leave a five-star review i've already read all the ones we've had so far but if there's a new one i'll read it on the show and then hit that follow button and subscribe to the show you'll get a new team player podcast in your queue every sunday at 2 p.m and if you want to follow me on twitter i'm james kovaleski i'm your host and my twitter is coach underscore kovo that's coach underscore k-o-v-o all right let's dive into it jimmy you grew up in Pasadena, Texas. And, you know, the thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, we've had, a, you're not our first Pasadena alum. We've had Carmen Solis Martinez, and we've also had Cirillo Ojeda. And, you know, for Cirillo, at least, he grew up in the Soho zone and then moved to Pasadena. So I'm curious about you. Were you always in the Rayburn zone or did you move from other, you know, throughout parts of Pasadena? Yeah, I live really close to uh, both the elementary school, May Smith Elementary, and then it was, it was pretty much Rayburn was like on the same plot of land 
so both of them, like I was close enough where the school buses didn't even um, have a route in our neighborhood, yeah. you know, close enough to walk. So I definitely was was zoned to Ray, Rayburn the whole time. Uh, so my path was Maysmith Elementary, Southmore Intermediate, and then Sam Rayburn High School. So it was always I was always going to be a Texan uh, from when I when I you know got in elementary school. You know, and you know, talking. I've, I've had two Eagles on the show. You know, I, me- I mentioned Carmen Solis Martinez, Cirillo Ojeda, and they, they both said without a hesitation, Rayburn is the rival. I imagine you feel the same way. I mean, was 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 Pasadena your your rival, or, or did Soho kind of sneak in there a little bit? Or what, who did you see as the rival? Yeah, definitely, definitely, uh, definitely Pasadena. I mean, I mean, you you know, you go back in the history, and Rayburn split off of of Pasadena. You know, that that part of the town. You know, so. Um, you know, that was a long time ago before any of us were around, but, um, you know, so we definitely felt the, the rivalry with Pasadena. I mean, I think everybody personally probably has a team they did, didn't care to play or, or didn't like or whatever, for whatever reason, maybe that personally was Deer Park a little bit, oh, okay. uh, but, yeah. but I think overall it was for sure, it was for sure uh, Pasadena. Um, you know, we played them and they still do it, played them in football at week 10, Every year it was always like scheduled. That game was always going to be the last game. Um, you know, big crowds, uh, everybody in the in the area would come out and watch that game, no matter what the records of the teams were, because it was just, you know, that that rivalry you were talking about. And the thing I always wonder is when did Doby come onto the scene? Was Yeah, Doby was uh I don't know, I don't have the the school history on Doby when they opened, but they definitely were there all of my high school. Uh, I was a high school student in 95 to 99 and they were our, you know, they had been uh, for, for many years uh, in, in the district already. So uh, I'd, I'd have to look it up for you, but I'm sure, you know, in the eighties, I would guess. Uh, so they, you know, for us, they were established uh, in, in the district. No, there was no passing Memorial when I, when I was a player, but when I came back to coach um, they passing Memorial had opened, um, but there was just four schools in passing ISD. Pasadena, Rayburn, South Houston, and Dobie. As a native Pasadenian, I take it? <laughs> sure, we call it that. Yeah. Okay. As a native there, when was the first time you experienced Don Keys? Because I remember <laughs> we used to go on those scouting trips to Veterans Memorial Stadiums, and you took us there one time, and boy, we had the time of our lives, and what great food and great atmosphere. So what, when was the first time you went to Don Keys? I don't – I, I – I, uh... You know, I was lucky enough to get to read some of your show notes. So I knew this question was coming. I really thought hard about when was the first time. <laughs> I don't remember exactly when the first time was, but it was, it's a restaurant has been around, I think since the seventies in Pasadena in that wow. same location. Yeah. In fact, if you've been there now, uh, it would look different than probably the last time you went. Cause they actually did some, up, uh, some upgrading and some remodeling. So it does look a little bigger and a little nicer, but it's still got that same kind of, uh, I don't want to give them bad press here, but a hole in the wall type feel, sure. but that's kind of why you like it. That's a compliment. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, I, and it's a, it's a, one of the few places in Pasadena where like, when you say donkey, everybody knows where you're talking about. Um, I, I don't remember my first time there. I just remember going there as a elementary kid, as a junior high kid, and definitely a lot in high school with my family. And then later on, as I got old enough to, you know, go there with friends and then eventually go there with coaches so yeah. uh, it definitely, definitely like that place. Anytime I go back home and someone wants to eat, that's the first place I take them. That's great. And I, you know, I, I, I didn't ask Cirillo Ojeda about Don Keys because I wasn't sure if it was a Pasadena wide thing or just a Rayburn kind of jaunt, you know, but you're saying that like everybody in Pasadena knows Don Keys. 
Yeah, I mean, we were uh, Rayburn's like kind of on the south side of town, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so if you grew up in the north side and went to Pasadena High School, you might not have gone there as often because it was a little further from your house. Sure. sure. Uh, but it wouldn't have been, you know, 10 or 15 minutes for you to get there. So I'm sure those Eagles went there, too. Yeah. And this is all free, unpaid advertising. They are not an official sponsor of the Team Player Podcast, but I'm telling you right now, look this up. Anytime you're going out there into the Pasadena area, go to Don Keys. I know we had a couple Don Key readers that night. We, we had a good time. And I'll tell you this. I always joke that Jimmy Hammond is the mayor of Pasadena. No offense, Cirillo Hedda, but I mean, I, I put this to the test. At Don Keys, I was talking about it. I said, hey, I'm going to just go up to someone. Literally, the first person I went into, I just this guy's crossing my face. I just say, "Hey, do you know who Jimmy Hammond is?" And he goes, "Yeah, I know Jimmy Hammond. We play little league together." So I swear to God, that happened. That's a true story. So uh, Jimmy, I, I, when you came back to the table, I, I thought there was no way that was accurate. But apparently, I walked up front where you were, and I looked around. I said, "Yep, I know him. I know exactly who he is." So <laughs> it, I can't believe it's actually true, but it is. You know, and that's that's the cool thing on just like, just to end on the Pasadena section. I I love that town. I love all the people I've met from there. Both Carmen Solis Martinez, Cirillo Ojeda, they both were light lifers, just like you that just grew up in that same area. And Carmen Solis Martinez talked about that when when we're from Pasadena, like we're family, like we we like you know we stick up for each other. And I I feel the same way about you. I mean, I shared the story on her episode about how I recently had you know a diaper dad's party, and you know you were there celebrating with us, and I've just you feel like family, even though we, we haven't known each other that long, but it just, do you kind of feel that way that people from Pasadena are just salt of the earth kind of people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the people that live in Pasadena, Deer Park and the port are, are very blue collar, uh, along 225, you know, in the ship channel area, there's a lot of refineries and plants. And a lot of the people, uh, that work there have a parent or two that, that work in the refineries or the plants. And so you get a lot of hardworking blue collar type of people, uh, that are just just good people and um, you know you were talking you were talking earlier we got I uh, I got a couple couple famous if you want to call them famous I don't know I put air quotes around that but call them famous uh, other alumni that are head football coaches too Brian Brazel at Louisville Hebron uh, who just retired he, he's a Rayburn alum and John Snelson at Dickinson's a Rayburn alum okay I didn't know that so, so I always feel close to those guys even though they're a little bit older than me I feel like you know we got kindred spirits or whatever because we're both both all three of us are Rayburn grads and we're about to dive into the Rayburn section now we've kind of talked about your upbringing but now your high school career but I, I did want to say in terms of coaches and Rayburn team player podcast alum Sergio Gonzalez has just taken over the helm at Rayburn I don't know if you've got to meet him Jimmy but he's a guy I've actually known for many years and he's just such a great uh, person great leader and I, I know he's excited so just I think you know the program's in good hands Jimmy so I definitely want to tell you that but have, have you got a chance to meet Sergio Gonzalez or so I, 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 you know, just in the coaching world, it's, you know, it's a tight knit community and, and networking, I guess. I haven't actually spoke with him, but I, he was at Adobe, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yep. He was at Adobe. Right. I think he was at Adobe when I was at Rayburn and then he was a head coach at Chavez. Well, right. he was at Adobe more recently. No, he was, oh, okay. at, Adobe was his last stop before getting the head, uh, before Chavez and then Rayburn. Okay. Okay. So maybe we That's didn't right. cross. I felt maybe that we might've. Um, I definitely recognize him. If I saw him, I feel like I would know him, but no, we haven't met formally. Well, sure. Yeah. And no, definitely, definitely seek him out. Cause he, he's going to be great for passing to Rayburn. So I'm always, I always kind of watch those scores because of my history with you, but now with him there too, I'm definitely going to yeah. be rooting for the Texans. In I the always fall. do too. I don't think you can help it looking at your alma mater score every Friday night, but Hey, coaching school's coming up this week. So maybe, uh, maybe I will run into him. Absolutely. 
And so once you got to Pasadena, Sam Rayburn, uh, you played football for coach Denny Swenson and you, uh, I guess also he was your baseball coach, right? So he was your quarterback. Coach uh, he, was, uh, he was, he was our head football coach and a campus athletic director. I played for Billy hurry in baseball who also coached football. He coached okay. defensive ends in football and was our head baseball coach. And then in baseball, you are a right-handed pitcher and outfielder. And so, I just want to hear your memories because it was honestly really cool on the Cirillo Ojeda episode when he talked about his memories, just, it was like a different time. The things that he was describing, just some of the pageantry. And like, he talked about like, uh, kind of, you know, stuff he can't do now, but like burning the mascot of like Hector's <laughs> things like that. I mean, it, you know, again, that was a different time. We, we don't quite do those things anymore, but it was really cool hearing him describe that. So did you have a similar kind of experience where it felt like just a place just locked in a special period of time when you're at Rayburn? Yeah, definitely. You know, it was definitely of the time where, you know, there wasn't a lot, you know, you got to remember Memorial wasn't open. And so there was no, no real movement in like moving around. Like if you were an Eagle, you were an Eagle. If you were a Trojan, you were a Trojan. If you were a Texan, you're a Texan. You're probably that way, you know, from elementary school on. So you, you knew where you were going. You knew what colors you were going to wear. Um, we, we also did the same kind of parade and, and, uh, you know, ours was called, you know, burn Baldy, of course, yeah. but, um, <laughs> you know, we had a parade the night before or, you know, years it changed. Cause I, you know, I was there as a player for four years and then back as a coach, which I think right. we'll talk about later back as a coach for eight. So it changed a little bit, but you know, there were, they would have the fire department come out and we'd walk from the stadium. The stadium was only about six blocks from the school. So we'd walk from the stadium to the school or vice versa. You know, we'd do that. Um, we'd have a, I guess a festival or a carnival type uh, in the parking lot, you know, kind of like a, like you might do a tailgate, but you know, with, with boost, you know, beanbag toss or, you know, all the stuff you would see at a carnival and the community would come out, you know, before the bonfire. And I think they use it as a fundraiser as I got as a, as a coach. I don't, I don't remember that as a student, but as a coach, use some of that as a fundraiser where, you know, you bought tickets and you bought food and it was a big event for the, for the community. Uh, leading up into that game, you know, that game would sometimes be played on Friday nights or, or sometimes Saturday afternoon, just kind of dependent on the way the schedule worked. So, you know, that that carnival would you know change around, you know, maybe on a Thursday night or a Friday night. So uh, definitely felt all of that. You know, you felt like all the guys you grew up playing all your little league sports with were the same guys you were going and playing um, high school with. And then some of those guys, you, you know, that you played little league sports against were your rivals, you know, so. Yeah. You know, so it definitely felt uh, a lot. A lot. I, mean, I listened to his episode, of course, and I felt a lot of the same ways he did about Pasadena High as I did about Raven. And I just got to say props to Pasadena ISD. The mascot names are just stellar. They are awesome. Baldy the Eagle, Hector the Trojan. What was the name of the Texan mascot? I got to know. And I hate to disappoint you, Kovo, because it, it, it's Sam, uh, because it's Sam, Sam Rayburn High School. So not as creative there. Not bad, though. That's not bad. I love that he did have a name and it wasn't just Texan or something, yeah, you know, like no. he had a name. That, that's cool. So back, back when I went back when I went to high school, the he looked the mascot himself looked a lot like Yosemite Sam back mm-hmm. when you could probably have the, you know, the six shooter in your Sure, in sure, your holster, sure. you know, of course yeah. they got rid of that, but he looked a lot like Yosemite Sam when I was in high school. And that, that kind of evolved into a more generic looking cowboy uh, as, you know, I became back as a coach. And I'm just curious, did, did, did you know, did the Longhorn have a, a, a name, a creative name as well? Or, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, re- I don't remember the, if the Longhorn had a name or not. I don't think it was Bevo though. <laughs> <laughs> no, so m- moving on, moving on to on the field. 
you you know you said you had the two years on varsity so i gotta know what was your career record against pasadena high school uh we were one and one one so you split uh, okay yeah when i was, my junior year as a backup quarterback so i didn't i didn't play in that game but uh, my senior year, unfortunately, I have the uh, we lost my senior year, and yeah. I have a vivid memory of throwing a throwback tight end screen. Uh, the game was tight. I remember. I think it was somewhere in like the nine seven range. I think that's what the final ended up being. Um, and I remember we did us. We were we were a I team, like an under center I team. We were we were into. I remember it was we were in twins right. We were sprinting out right, and it was going to be a quarter a throwback screen to the tight end. You know who would fake fake. Yeah. You know. Uh, the fake the screen to the right and then drop back and uh their defensive end picked it off and that was kind of like the sealed the game for them right because i threw an interception and that was my last like high school play it's oh, a bad no. way to it's a crappy way to remember it but um <laughs> it is a, i mean it's a it's a bad memory for me but i do remember it that's for sure and then what cirillo said that she that we did not get the qb1 matchup that i was hoping for between you and so you guys just you just just missed each other by a year yeah, we did. He's a he's a year he's one year older. So when he was a senior on the varsity, I was a backup. I see. Okay. Um, I was I was on the varsity. I just I was a backup. Uh, so I didn't I didn't play that game. So then after you know you had a, obviously had a great time at Rayburn. You enjoyed it. I mean, what what about the baseball side of it? I mean, obviously you, you continued on you know into college with baseball. What, what was your baseball career like as a Texan? Yeah, it was really good. You know, I mean, I I think kind of took the classic path in both football and baseball where you know, a sub varsity player for two years and a varsity player for two years. Um, you know, you, you know me and what my stature is like. So, you know, football quarterback, you know, beyond beyond high school is probably not in my cards, but um, I did really love the game. Um, I probably was a little bit better at baseball, I pitched and played the outfield. We had a really strong team my junior year. I think uh, we had 24, 25 players on the varsity and only two of us were like there was, I think if there was 25, I think there's two of us that were juniors, the rest were seniors. Wow. So, um, you know, I was, uh, I guess I, you'd call us our number two pitcher, uh, was a backup outfielder. I didn't really get in the game much in the outfield because we just had a really Dottie Fricks I uh, talked about yeah, earlier yeah. was our center fielder. Uh, he was a, you know, he's just an all around great athlete and he played center field. So I was backing him up. Didn't do a lot of playing because I was backing him up there, but I did get to pitch every other, every other game. Um, and as a senior, you know, got a, got an opportunity to get in there and actually play in the outfield and hit and, and pitch every other game. And, you know, we had a, you know, we made the playoffs in my junior year and, and made it again in my senior got to play in the Astrodome my senior year in the playoffs back then they took uh, three teams to the playoffs. So we had a first round bye. I know we'll talk about it later, but we got to play spring high school. And then as like kind of a tune up game, if you will, because uh, they won their district also. So, we were both on by during that first round of the playoffs and we played them. And then uh, we had like a torrential downpour that, that, that spring. And so they were looking for places to play and uh, our game ended up getting moved into the Astrodome. So that was pretty neat. So, you know, you got Alvin, you, you went on to continue to continue to pitch at Alvin community college and then uh, Texas A&M university Corpus Christi. So I just, I just want to know, I mean, how many pitches did you throw? Like what, what was your repertoire? And then what, what were you topping out at? So, so I, uh, I always fiddled around with a few more pitches than I actually threw in the game. But, you know, it was a fastball, curveball, changeup guy. I threw a circle change, probably my best off-speed pitch. Um, you know, always played around with the slider because they always said, all, everybody that I knew that threw it said, it's like throwing a football. It's like, well, I was a quarterback. This should, this should be natural. But I guess maybe my arm slot was just a little different. It just never, 
it never was good enough to put the game. I never felt like, um, you know, I was, uh, by the time I, you know, was a junior and senior in in college, I was, you know, topping out around 90, uh, probably, but that would be like, you know, top, topping out, but I probably threw, you know, in the 87, 88 range all the time and, um, didn't throw that hard in high school, but you know, as you get older and stronger and, you know, you're going to throw a little harder, but I was always like at the time considered like a harder thrower, but you know, I, I watch the college world series now and, I think they got every guy in there throwing 92, 93, 94 miles an hour. I right. feel like maybe the guns are juiced or something. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. But yeah. or or they just have a really good strength program where those guys are are really throwing uh really throwing hard these days in college baseball. And then you you know me, we, we've known each other for a long time. I don't know, I don't know baseball, but I like to watch and I speculate and I like to pick baseball coaches' brains. This is one thing that's just a pet peeve of mine watching baseball. So many times I'll see like uh, you know, Ver- I was watching Verlander pitch the other night. You're mowing through people, and then the, the catcher comes up for the Royals. It's the backup catcher. Salvador Perez is hurt, so it's this backup, and then we walk him. You know, and it, catchers obviously typically are not great hitters, and so I, that's just something I see often. I mean, I just feel like my mentality would be always, we're going to challenge the catcher. If he hits a home run, that's fine, but I just would never want to walk a catcher. So I'm just curious. You're, you're obviously, you're way, you know so much more than I do. What are your thoughts on that? Am I just crazy or, or is, there, is there something to that? Well, I think you have a point that a lot of times the catchers aren't the most offensively strong players. So, you know, you want to go after them. I wonder, I don't know, you know, I was thinking about the question, um, maybe because the catchers are such students of the game and they have such good scouting reports that good the point. pitchers might nibble at them a little more because yeah. they know that yeah. they're going to be well-versed in, in their their arsenal. And so maybe they're a little more fine with those guys because – uh, of their you know knowledge of the game I'm sure all of them have the scouting reports but maybe the catchers you know because they have to have one for the opposing That's teams right, yeah. uh, you know all the way up and down the lineup so you, you imagine those guys study as much as anybody that's that's a great dude great answer and that's why i wanted to ask you because i knew i knew you'd have something for me and that makes total sense so i can definitely understand that and then like fellow team player podcast alum james gage uh he's the head football coach at alvin you played collegiate baseball. Now, Coach Gage also played, you know, he played D3 baseball at Hardin-Simmons. He described himself as better at baseball, but he loved football. And so he knew he always wanted to be a football coach. I'm curious for you, did you know, is this what you saw for yourself as being a head football coach or, or were you dreaming of, of leading a program on the diamond? I, I think it, um, for me, I always wanted to be, and this was the role I always wanted to be in the campus athletic coordinator yeah. or athletic director and head football coach. I knew that in high school um you know i i remember i i, I vividly remember during pasadena week uh, warming up with our i was it was by pre-practice time and we were getting i was getting loose with our receivers coach um he, we were just throwing throwing the ball back and forth getting my arm loose and he asked me you know what what i wanted to do after high school and i told him i i said something like oh, i want to be i want to do what you're doing and i i knew back then that's what i wanted to do um i knew that you know, being in charge of an athletic program in Texas, you probably needed to be the head head football coach. And that's kind of how the jobs are tied together. I know it doesn't always have to be like that now, but that's kind of how they're tied together a lot. Um, so I knew that's the the route I wanted to go. Uh, much like Coach Gage, I was just a little bit better baseball player. And that helped me, you know, pay my way through college a little bit. Um, and I, you know, I always think about it. I People ask me when I coached, and I coached both the sports, you know, what's your favorite sport? I would just always say, well, whatever's in season. Yeah. And that's how it yeah. felt like growing up. You know, it's a little bit different than 
the kids today, you know, we didn't specialize. I'm sure you didn't either. You just played what was ever in season, right? If football right. was in season, you played football, right. basketball, baseball, track, whatever it was, was in season. That's what you did. And that's how it felt for me. Uh, so, and that was kind of my answer. It had been my answer up until I, you know, got this position was, you know, what's your favorite sport? It was whatever's in season. That would be my, my standard answer. Cause I never wanted to pick because I really did love them both. Um, I think, I think as a coach, um, coaching football and coaching baseball, they're very different games. There's a lot more a cat and mouse game in football, a lot more of the film watching preparation scouting. And I think the mental side of the game was something I really loved. And I knew that I wanted to be a head football coach once I got into coaching in general. Um, but I did, you know, I mean, there was a time when I thought maybe like head baseball coach might be my route. Um, but I think, you know, the way my career went um, and the way my resume talks, you know, it was definitely, I was definitely paving the way to, to be in the position I'm in now early on. When you had, I'm curious, you know, I'm really glad you brought this up. This wasn't part of the show notes, but, you know, you, you talked about dreaming of, of becoming a campus athletic coordinator. Were you, were you actually dreaming of, be, you know, the, the true roles of a campus athletic coordinator, like managing other sports? Or were you just kind of thinking, I just want to be the head football coach and, and I have to do campus athletic coordinator? No, I really, at that time, um, you know, I saw those roles and, and, I, and I still agree with what they are, you know, as administrator type roles yeah. um, that would benefit the school as a whole i mean i love sports i think all of us that coach uh, have coached or do coach or played it love sports and love what they stand for and i wanted to help make an impact on all the sports you know get yeah. to be somebody that you know uh, help make hires in those sports and help make decisions with facilities uh, you know and and help you know coach coach now i know that now i don't know that i know knew that's what they sure. did back then but I, I did see that person as someone important in the school, um, someone that made help make decisions for the school, somebody that, um, you know, I looked up to and I wanted to be like that person. And, you know, of course, they, you know, the head, uh, head football job and the campus coordinator went hand in hand. Um, but I know they don't always have to. But that's, you know, I, I wanted to follow that classic, that classic path, if you will, uh, from a, you know, from the, at least a high, at least a senior in high school time. You know? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm just really glad you brought that up, especially that the, the head football coach isn't always the campus athletic coordinator. Because I, I think back to my time at Aldi, and I think if I had just been the head football coach, I might still be there. You know, <laughs> but, but, you know, for my skill set, or at least at the time, at least being 30 years old at the time and being young, you know, thrust in that position, I, I just don't think I was ready for it. I don't think I, I didn't do the – I wasn't able to maintain the level that I wanted in my role. Now, granted, of course – being the campus athletic coordinator comes with a lot of headaches, but also that's tied to your salary. And that's how you can, you can make more for your family. So I don't, I don't, I definitely am thankful I had the opportunity and I, there's a lot of parts of it that I love, but I found that I was best suited as an assistant, you know, when I was at a defense coordinator at Ridgepoint, like, I feel like that's when I hit my career peak and I was really achieving it at, a, you know, what I thought was a high level and felt really fulfilled. So I'm just curious for you, 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 I think your personality is perfectly suited for, to be a campus athletic coordinator because I think you need to be able to just stay the course. You need to be steady, you're right? Because you know, a lot of things are going to come your way. So just can you describe from now your, your four years, I guess four going on five years of, of sitting in that chair and being the campus athletic coordinator. We have a lot of coaches that listen to the show that want to be campus athletic coordinators. What, what, what have you seen? Like what are some of the main things that you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis and what advice can you give to the listeners? I, I think, you know, I talk, I, I, when I describe it to other people, I talk about wearing two caps, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm the head football coach and I'm the campus athletic coordinator. And I really feel like um, 
you can't mix those even when it would be a it would be nice to like do something just for your football program because you have the authority to do so but you yeah. got to think you got to be fair all the time yeah. if you if you would do it for the football program would you do it for all of the other programs also and if you wouldn't do it from the football program then you can't do it for the other ones i think that's something you got to be able to keep fair um and, and i guess you know, equality is, is key when you're in that role because you're dealing with a lot of other head coaches that feel as strongly about their their sport as you yes. feel about yours. And you have to care as much about their sport as they care about it. Um, so something, you know, you asked about what are the things that, that I see on a day-to-day basis. Um, you know, at Seven Lakes High School, we have a lot of experienced head coaches that have been doing it a long time. So a lot, a lot of my role is support uh, more than it's, um, you know, getting my hands dirty, if you will. Yes, there's opportunities to make hires, both as a head coach uh, or an assistant coach. I'm, I want to be involved in all of our personnel moves. I think that's probably the the thing that is most beneficial or most impactful for our students is who coaches them. Right. Um, you know, but but also decisions uh, that have to do with like day to day operations. You know, facility upgrades or facility um, maintenance, if you will. Um, you know, those those things come my way. Uh, also, you know, like at times, just like your normal problems that you're going to get come your way, whether it's, you know, uh, disagreements between parents and coaches or, or players and players, you know, or um, so those things come my way, you know, few and far between it when I'm at seven likes, but honestly, you know, being visible and being supportive of our coaches is probably what I feel like my number one role is um, being able to talk to our basketball coach about the game that they just played. And, not, you know, maybe they want to talk X's and O's and I want to be able to talk X's and O's, talk about press breaks or, yeah. or talk about how they're going to score points on that team, but just be visible, be aware of what's going on in their program. Uh, I want to know who their players are. I want to know, um, you know, their, their staff and I want to know them well. Um, so, you know, for me, it, it's really just being supportive. You know, there's a lot of uh, really experienced coaches on our staffs. And so I don't, I'm not having to, you know, guide them all that much. You know, when they come to me, I'm going to do that. But um, they, they, you know, they have it under control for the most part. But, you know, if something were to come their way, maybe it's advice with how to deal with an angry parent uh, that might happen. Or, you know, hey, I, I'd like to do this fundraiser. You know, have you ever done one like this? You know, mm-hmm. or who should I talk to? Or what picture company should I use? Or, you know, all of the little kind of like behind the scenes stuff. Right. You know, like where do you get your team meals from? You know, maybe, I, you know, they want to try somewhere new. It's, you know, some of that like stuff yeah. that you don't think is coaching, but it really is uh, because coaching isn't, isn't simply what you do between the white lines. You know, it's all the stuff you do in preparation uh, with your team and with your staff. So, uh, I, you know, that's probably my goal, my, my, excuse me, not my goal, but my role with them. Uh, it's kind of that behind the scenes supporter. Absolutely. And so, you know, longtime listeners know there's two stats that I typically keep on this show that I've, I've been tracking from, from episode one. I always track, did they, did you know, starting in college? And so you knew in you know, high school, you, you knew you're kind of like me. I was the same way. I, seventh grade. I knew, you know? And so we were kind of the same, but the stats are interesting. I've had of all my guests, which I've got some of the best coaches across the, the city, the state, even the country, we've had guests from Oregon and, you know, other, other places, only 34.78% knew when they entered college that they wanted to be a coach. What's that, find that interesting, Jimmy? <laughs> what's that? What's the number? What's the actual raw number there? How many out of 20? What I'm 24, right? Yeah, you, well, yeah, so, uh, I guess that's uh, eight or nine. Yeah, we're like really? eight or nine out of uh, 23, 24 coaches. 
So well, it's funny. It's funny you bring that up because I didn't finish the story when I was talking about my high school receivers coach uh, talking about you know throwing the ball with him and 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 uh, now that you bring it up, I'll finish. And he said, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, I think I want to do what you're doing. And he said, Are you sure you want to do that? You know, I was, you know, decent student. And so he's like, well, I think you can make more money doing other things. And I was like, well, I want to enjoy what, what yeah. I do. I don't want it to feel like work, you know, and I think maybe that's the stigma is like, you know, you can make other, you can make a, a maybe a more lucrative living um, in another profession. And I do feel it is a calling because although you're going to pay your bills uh, teaching and coaching, you're probably not driving the Lamborghini either, you know, sure. so so I think that, you know, what may, what, what people might steer themselves in another direction and they have that little tug to, to what probably they always felt uh, to come over into coaching and teaching. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, just sometimes I think that people sell short the compensation too, though. I mean, yeah, you're right. You're not going to be rich, but it's all, to me, it's a strong compensation yeah. package. It and really the other is. thing you got to think about is, you know, the steady nature of, of sure. the paychecks, you know, and I, I know a lot of guys that do other kinds of work that they're living more on commission. And, and I think that sometimes that's, that, that can be tough on your, on your pocketbook to not yeah, know when, how, how big the next check's going to be, you know? So I, I, the, the compensation, you know, obviously I would be an advocate for, for uh, more pay for all sure. our coaches and <laughs> teachers out there. Right. I think they deserve it. Um, but it, it is, it is a solid, you know, for any, for any, uh, you know, viewers, listeners that you have, they're thinking about joining. I mean, it's good. It's a good steady living. And, you know, you do work, you do work a nice schedule and you get your holidays. And I think people like that part of it. Um, but I mean, you can make ends meet and you can live and you can live well on, on a teaching and coaching salary. Totally agree. I mean, I've done other sales jobs after leaving coaching, some of them at far lower salaries than, than I ever made as coaching. Now I, I work for Dactronics now. So my salary is similar to what I made, you know, as coaching. But the cool thing for me is my, my background in coaching, I think, has allowed me to, to get into the, the broadcasting and the podcasting because I know so many guys and I just have such a passion for it. It's become this hobby of mine where I, you know, I work for Dactronics during the day. And then after that, I put on my podcasting hat or my broadcaster hat three times every, every weekend in the fall. I love it. I love it. I love bringing a professional, positive look at what's going on in high school coaching. So I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it, but you know, that's the one stat there that 65, you know, about 65% of my guests, Jimmy did not know. And so the reason I, the reason I bring it up is I always tell people, if you're listening to the podcast and you're, you think, Oh, I'm 35 years old, I'm 40, I'm 45 years old. I'm too, it's too late. I'm, I'm too far behind. I would just say, no, that's not necessarily true. Whatever. You don't have to know. You don't have to want to be a coach in seventh grade. Right. So I've worked with a lot of, I've worked with a lot of great coaches that did other things before they were a coach. Absolutely. And a lot of those life experience and work experiences help them as, as they coach, because they can draw back on some of that stuff they've done in the corporate world um, when, when they're teaching and coaching kids. And one other cool thing about you, Jimmy, this is a more of a, a select group here because only 26% of my guests have done this, but you are one of the ones that has been able to coach at your alma mater. And so your first coaching stop, you went back home to uh, Pasadena, Sam Rayburn. So just describe that. Was it something where when you were finishing college, you were able to call up your old coach and he had a job waiting for you? How did that all transpire for you to come home? So Coach Swenson, my, my, the guy I played for as a head football coach and the campus athletic director, um, he had retired a few years earlier. So I wasn't able to call him, but it was kind of neat because so the Charlie Riggs, um, and he's passed on now, but Charlie Riggs was my quarterback coach and he was actually had moved into an assistant principal role. And so 
uh, I called up or yeah, I called up coach Riggs as I was finishing up college and you know, you're putting your resume out there everywhere, you know, anywhere, you, you know, you feel like you have the right certification and they have the right sports for you. You know, I'm putting, I'm putting my resume in it and I want to live in the Houston area. So I'm putting it in everywhere, but I decided to call him and say, Hey, I want to, you know, Hey, I, I'm done with college and I'm ready to get back into coaching. If you know some people, can you help me out? He said, well, send me your resume. I'm going to print it out and I'll walk it down to the, to Mike Woodley was the, uh, the guy, first guy I worked for. He was a campus coordinator and head football coach. And he said, he, you know, he walked it down there and just kind of set it on his desk and, you know, like called him later and said, Hey, I put a resume on your desk, a former player of mine. And, you know, you might look into it if you got an opening. And I don't know that he had an opening right away. He ended up having one that year, but you know, it was a couple months before he had an opening as a, you know, I needed to come in as a freshman coach, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, he, he eventually had an opening, you know, a little bit later in the year, it called me up and interviewed and it went really good. I, I really enjoyed those eight years there, you know, uh, being, you know, that I went there. Uh, some of the same teachers uh, that taught me were there. Uh, coach Cloud was uh, probably the reason why I played high school football because uh, he called my mom and made sure she knew that it, you know, I was going to be as safe as possible playing football, you know, and, and he was still there, um, retired not, not too long ago, um, from, 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 from Rayburn actually. And so, you know, I worked with some of the guys, I worked with my head baseball coach for two years that I played for and played football and baseball for. So all of those things were really neat, um, because there wasn't like complete turnover where I knew nobody. Now I didn't know the head football coach at the time. Um, uh, but I didn't know some of the assistants that were there. Um, some of the teachers that I got to teach alongside with were there when I was a student. So that part was really neat. And I felt like, you know, for me, I, I bled, you know, Columbia blue. And, and so it was really easy to, to jump right back in and have school spirit uh, because, well, I was an alum. So that was really, really easy. And so, you know, you, you're there, you're coaching. And again, you know, we, I've been referring a lot to uh, episode four, uh, team player alum Cirillo Heda, because he, you guys had a similar origin story that you both went back home to your alma maters. This is where I misremembered it in my episode of Cirillo that you were the offensive coordinator at passing your Avery. And I kind of stumbled on that because I just think of you as such of a defensive guy due to our history together. But so both of you guys were offensive coordinators. So you didn't actually go directly head to head with coach Ojeda. But I mean, what was that like being at a rival school, a fellow offensive coordinator who's got a very similar background to you? Did, did you guys kind of network with each other or chalk talk a little bit outside of score. What was your relationship with coach Aheda during those times? So I think just like uh, any other school district that you're in, um, once you're there a little bit and you start to coach against the same guys year to year. So coach Aheda and I, it's, it's funny because we're both math certified and math teachers. So we yeah. saw each other in professional yep. developments yep. across the district. At that time, there was only four and eventually five high schools. So the district wasn't huge. And so we'd see each other at professional developments. Um, we also coached baseball against each other wow. uh, and football. So I got to know him. Um, I ended up getting to work with him for a year, but yeah. I got to know him like in, as a, as a kind of, I don't know, I want to call him a rival, but just as a, you know, as a, a colleague, if you yeah. will, but not someone I had worked with um, before. So uh, we got to know each other through not only, you know, the school district trainings, but football and baseball also. So I knew a lot about him. I knew his teams were, you know, and then of course coaching against Pasadena for all those years, you know, his offenses were always disciplined and sound and uh, always had good game plans and got a lot out of the talent that they had. And so I, you know, I respected the work that he did uh, there at Pasadena 
and you know he had, he, he was there a long time you know he was like me he did like we have a very similar path yeah. he was a Pasadena high school alum and I was a Rayburn alum we both played sports there and came back to work there and we're there for a good amount of time before we moved on and it was our you know for him he worked at Jackson I believe intermediate school that's right yep. and, and then but he went there too I think yeah. if I remember correctly um, and so he moved up in the, the high school ranks you know so you know we had a very similar path so I definitely respected that with him and we were in both of us it wasn't like we were only there a year or two you know we we spent you know for me it was eight years I think him a little bit longer uh you know so we definitely knew the ins and outs of both our school and the school district what when you were coaching at that time was it similar to your because I remember you're saying your game senior as a player was nine to seven it's it's, it's just tooth and nail every year was it the same thing as coaching was was, was Rayburn and, and Pasadena still really competitive each year in and you're out yeah it wasn't always nine seven you know some <laughs> years it was a little higher scoring than that but um but yeah it was always really competitive you know there was some there were some years um, where we got the better of them and there were some years that they got the better of us as, yeah. a, as a coach. Um, so it was always, you know, you knew that no matter what our records were at that point, we were going to have a competitive game, you know, whether one team was struggling when the other team wasn't, or, you know, we, we always knew that it didn't that, like throw the record out with a rivalry game, right? right. Throw the records out because you're going to give your best whenever you're playing that crosstown rivalry. You know, and this is where, you know, both of both y'all coached for a long time at a place, but there comes a time for every coach where there, there is time to move on. And so this is where our, our paths crossed. I would like to know, how did you how did you come across this interview at Ridgepoint High School? And then uh, second thing is, I, re I remember it vividly, Coach Sniffin calling me into his office to sit in on this interview. And I remember as soon as he left, I, I was sold. And I, I know he didn't need me to tell him what to do. <laughs> I don't think he necessarily listened to my, my opinion. But, uh, you know, he, I said, we need we got to get this guy. And he agreed with me. So what, did, what was your memory of that interview? I, 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 we were both so impressed by you. But just what, those are my two questions. How did you find out about Ridgepoint? And what was your memory of interviewing for that job? Yeah, so we had a head coaching chain. So I worked for Mike Woodley for two years. Um, and his offensive coordinator was Chris Buss. He was also Denny Swenson's offensive coordinator um so when coach mike woodley actually left rayburn he was from iowa he went back home to coach grandview university they started a program and they you know recruited him back because he was a uh mike woodley was a, a high school legendary high school coach in iowa moved his way he actually worked at iowa state wow. and he wanted to get back into coaching high school and he recruited texas and he knew how good texas football was and so he got the job at rayburn after, a, I think he was there, I only worked for him two years, but I think he was there right after Denny Swinson retired. So maybe four, I think. And then he, when Grand University in his hometown of Des Moines started a, pro, a football program, he went back. And so Chris Bussey was elevated into uh, the head football coach, athletic coordinator role. Um, and I was, you know, I was already on staff there. So uh, eventually worked my way up on the offensive side. So it's funny you bring it up. I had actually, I've coached as an assistant um all but three years just those three as offensive coordinator i had really been a defensive coach right even though i played more offense i think as a coach it doesn't really matter if you're a coach right. you can coach either side of the ball That's no right. matter what you played i feel like good coaches can do that no matter what so actually i have a lot more expertise on defense even though i played quarterback but i have a lot more uh time on the on that side of the ball but um so he he had actually left with john snelson it's a small world right John Snelson was at Memorial at the time, got the Dickinson job. Um, and Chris Bussey, my head coach, left with him to be his OC. And so there was an opening 
as our head football coach. And, you know, as you know, the coaching world, it's not that different than college coaching as far as when a new guy comes in, he's got guys he wants to bring with him. I was an OC. He already had one. Uh, so things were going to change. And I knew, like, if I wanted to, you know, I, I, I just felt like it was a natural time. Um, I didn't know, you know, Fort Bend ISD or Ridge Point at all. Uh, you know, THSCA, Texas High School Coach Association, has a job board uh, where they post their openings. Head coaches can post their openings. Uh, it just so happened they had a football baseball opening with a math certification and that needed your CDL. I had all that. So I, so I threw my resume in there and it, it kind of like, you know, some people would say the stars aligned, if yeah. you will, because, you know, I knew it was going to be a great place for me because, you know, all of those things, you know, I had, you know, at the time he wasn't sure, you know, I don't know, you would know more, but I, you know, came in uh, interviewing for the a baseball job as well as defensive backs and special teams coordinator was kind of out there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I had done that at Rayburn before I was the OC. So it kind of like, and then I was a math teacher and they needed math teachers because the school was adding on grades every year. So, you know, they were adding on the teaching staff too. And it just so happens like what I was teaching at Rayburn was open at Rich Point. It was just like talk about stars aligning. That's really what they did. We caught lightning in the bottle, as you well know, uh, as we were there and it prepared, you know, I mean, that pre helped prepare me in the role I'm in now. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I always on other podcasts I, I've been on. I didn't answer, oh, I heard his whole say, Kobe. I didn't answer the other part of the question yeah, the interview. you asked about the interview. I thought the interview went. You know, I did. Uh, I did interview with with Coach Sniffin first, just talking athletics and mm. football, baseball, and then came back uh, to meet with Timmy Edwards and the like the full panel interview. Yeah. You know that on the academic side, but I remember being in there with you and him, and I felt like uh, it went really well. I felt like um, we 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 clicked, we matched. Uh, like the way he described the guys on staff, I felt like I would fit in. Mm -hmm. uh, the way he described, um, you know, the defense that that he had played, I had coached in a secondary with, you know, four four defensive backs and coached all of them at, mm -hmm. at one point. And so I was not, you know, unfamiliar with the the style of play. I hadn't coached in a three four before. Um, you know, coaching even front at, when I had coached uh, defense. But, you know, as far as secondary coverages, we saw eye to eye on a lot of that. I remember you asking questions about combination coverages yeah. and come to find out that's what we were going to do a lot of. And obviously, yeah. if you were asking the question as a coordinator, that that's what you knew you were going to do a lot of. And so, I, you know, I had we had played a lot of combination coverages and, you know, we were a four two five kind of like, you know, TCU style at that time was really in vogue. And so we played a lot of those combination quarter quarter half coverages and so I remember like being able to talk the talk if you will right uh, I remember it going well and I, you know you know how you walk out of the interview and you're like I, I think that went well I mean if I, I think I might get this one that's kind of how it felt like I think yeah. I think I got it you know if if everything will you know I knew at that point I still had to meet with the principal and still had to win over academics so I knew it wasn't over but I felt like the athletic part went real good and uh, you know felt like you know, if I just did my job in the academic part that, you know, I'd be a Panther. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, like I said, I, whenever I'm, whenever I'm asked to describe you, I've been on some other podcasts or, you know, I've been the guest and I kind of talked about you a little bit and uh, I always describe you as the yin to my yang, you know I mean? Like you and I worked really well together, but honestly on the surface of it, we're really different in a lot of ways, you know, I, you know, and so all of my weaknesses were your extreme strengths, you know, and I just thought we really played well off each other and it was just such an awesome time. Um, 
you, I just described, you're always, you're always that voice in my ear when I needed it, you know, whether, you know, whether coach seven had just fired me on the headset and like he talked about in his episode and episode 14. Hey, don't worry. He fired me too. And I took your job. So don't worry. Okay. So good. The truth, it wasn't just me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, go back and listen to episode 14. Coach Stiffen, you know, forgot to switch the button over <laughs> so we could, we could hear it when he was firing us. But uh, it would be funny after those situations, you know, tense moments, just, you know, seriously, just tense, intense moments. Jimmy was always able, hey, Kobo, we're going to be okay, you know? And so, and honestly, that helps. And uh, it's, it's very important in coaching to have someone that you trust. And, you know, so the football, honestly, with, with you was, was easy piece of cake. But then we also, Coach Stiffen brought up the academic portion, which you alluded to a little bit. You taught upper level mathematics at a school that is affectionately known as the home of scholars and champions. I mean, this is a really high, high caliber academic school, very unusual for, you know, a football coach to be coaching that. So can you just speak to your, your uh, dedication and commitment to the classroom as well? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I believe this to this day. And I, I say this when I interview, uh, you know, potential coaches and teachers that, you know, I think the best, uh, coaches are good teachers. And I think the best teachers are good coaches. And I think they work hand in hand because I mean, when you get on the field, what, no matter what sport it is, you're, a, you're just teaching a game. You're teaching the strategy of the game, the rules of the game, you know, how to, how the, the technique and how to play the game. And it's no different than what you do in the classroom. For me, it was teaching math and I was at Rayburn and I, you know, I, I probably was, we always, I don't know if you did this when you were in the classroom, Kovo, but we always filled out those like end of the year surveys about what subject you might want to teach next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was probably the, the, the dummy that said that I wanted to teach upper level mathematics. <laughs> I was, you know, math was my kind of my strong suit in high school and in college. And, you know, I was, I was teaching geometry early on, but eventually taught pre-cal and calculus at Rayburn. And, and then just so happened that at Ridgepoint, that was a position of need. And I just really enjoyed it. I, you know, much like I told you that when someone would ask me what my favorite sport to play or coach was, I'd say whatever is in season. And I felt like in the, like, you know, my first four periods of the day, I'm going to teach math the best I could. And then when it's time to change out of your dress clothes and into your coaching clothes, you know, then I'm going to be the best coach I can be. And and I just took pride in, in both of them. I wanted to, you know, be the best math teacher I could be. Because, I mean, those those kids in the classroom expect that out of you. The kids at Richpoint expect it out of you. The kids at Rayburn expect it out of you. And I know the kids at Seven Lakes expect that out of our coaches, that they're going to give their all in the classroom, too, because, I mean, they're students and they're athletes. And they want to get good test scores so they can get into great schools. And if our coaches aren't being the best teachers they can be in the classroom and kind of letting that fall to the wayside, then, you know, I don't think we're doing our job as educators because we're you know, we ask our kids to be student athletes. Well, as a, as an educator, I'm, I'm a teacher and a coach. And so I need to take pride in both roles. And I tried to do that everywhere I was. No doubt. And, you know, Ridgepoint, like you said, we caught lightning in a bottle. It was special. It's a special place. It almost felt to me almost like a college atmosphere at times. It's the maturity of the kids and, and the community that we had there. I know a couple uh, Ridgepoint alums are, are big fans of the show. Uh, Paz, you know, Hayden Paskovich, you know, is a big fan. has reached out to me with his support. Uh, Mike Obi as a fellow podcaster, uh, you know, definitely check out his podcast for insight. I'm a subscriber. I listen every single week to the four insight podcast, Obi and, and, and his good friend, Jay fan, another former player of mine. They're the ones that kind of motivated me to, to get off my butt and finally do this podcast. <laughs> I've been thinking about it for a long time. And then there was a Jay fan came on to Obi's episode and talked about his, his blossoming uh, photography business. I'm like, 
man, look at Jay fan. You know, he thinks I'm a hero. He always thinks I coach Kobo is his hero. He's my hero. Like he, he did it, you know? So it's like, let me just start doing it. And here we are, you know, 24 episodes later. And it's just been such a great, great revelation in my life. I've just enjoyed every minute of this, but those guys love listening to the show and they love hearing about the good old days at Ridgepoint. I mean, Obi calls me all the time and we reminisce about the big games. And so for me, the biggest win was beating Elkins. You know, that, that, that was the big win for me. I, the, the first Marshall win uh, was a big one beating Foster, you know, at, at U of H. Those are some big ones that pop out of my head, but I'm curious for you and you had a, a longer stay after I had left, but are there, you know, just a handful of, of big games that really stick out in your memory from Ridgepoint? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, that that whole 2015 playoff run, when we made the state semifinals, that that whole thing. I mean, I, I feel like I could replay every playoff game. You know, we played Calhoun that year and down in, in uh, Hopper Field and Brazosport ISD. And uh, if it wasn't for Terry Petrie being able to bail us out of some some situations on offense at the time, you know, we had, we struggled a little bit on their triple option. Sure, I think Coach Sniffen might have talked about that on his show. Um, but I remember Calhoun and Crosby was next and they had, they had a, a lot of hype around Crosby at the time. And we went in there and kind of smashed them and, and, and that was huge. And then we kind of struggled with AM consolidated. That was next, but we got through them. We got to play in NRG uh, three times that year. And that was huge. Uh, my, probably the, the game I remember the most that year was playing Angleton in the regional finals in the Alamo dome. I remember, um, we beat them 36, 35 in overtime. They BJ Foster was on the team. He was a sophomore. Uh, I believe he was a sophomore and he, he was playing both ways running back in, in safety. And, uh, it was 30, it was, they had tied it in overtime and they could have kicked the field goal to tie it and go to a second overtime or go for it. Um, uh, I was a defensive coordinator and we had a timeout and I, and now I know why, you know, Brett, Brett did this. Uh, I didn't realize it, but, you know, he, he being the veteran head coach that he was, you know, saw this, but um, I kind of looked at him and said, you want us to call a timeout before the two, cause they were going to go for two. They weren't going to kick the extra point. They're going to try to win it right there in, in the first overtime. And he goes, no, let it play, let us play. And so we ended up stopping. They, they, uh, they, I think they ran some kind of play action pass, um, and we stopped it and we won the game. And I remember asking later, like, how come, how come you didn't want the, the timeout? We had one. He goes, well, I saw BJ Foster on the sideline. I didn't want to call a timeout to let him in the game. Wow. Yeah. Because he had yeah. played so much both ways um, and had put, you know, we had just been on offense and took the lead. Yeah. So BJ's playing defense and having, you know, rush. I don't know. I don't know the stat line, but felt like he rushed 30 times. Yeah. You know, and so he was tired. And, you know, Coach Niffin wanted us not to call the timeout and go ahead and play because they had their backup tailback in and probably why they play action past it um, because they had, they didn't have BJ Foster in the game. So uh, that was probably, you know, the, the, uh, that, and then playing Cedar park. And even though we got, we kind of, you know, we got beat, it was a competitive game, but we got to play in the state semifinals, you know, something, you don't know how many opportunities you're ever going to have as a coach to play at that level. And at that stage, um, you know, the next year we lost, we lost to Lamar 21, uh, 24 over at Tully stadium. Um, you know, like looking back on it now, being that I'm in KDSD, we beat Morton Ranch um, to get to Lamar in the second round. And then the following year, um, we beat Cinco Ranch in the first round of the playoffs over at Legacy. No, excuse me. Uh, yeah, at Legacy. And then we then we beat, we, oh, excuse me, lost to Lamar at Legacy the mm -hmm. next year. So, like, it was kind of like foreshadowing for what was going to happen 
Um, I don't think I, you know, obviously didn't know it then, yeah. but looking back on it, you know, losing to Lamar twice uh, in back-to-back years before coming over to seven legs. And I think we'll talk about it, you know, playing Ridge Point mm-hmm. uh, several times in the playoffs um, later. So those are some memories that stuck out to me after you had left, you know, those three seasons, I was a DC after you left. Yeah. And I mean, to me, it was no surprise. I mean, you, we had a good thing going when I was there, but you took it to even higher levels, a state semifinal appearance. I mean, I, I think, I believe even leading the entire state in scoring defense, you know, at, at we did point. the next year. Yeah. We did yeah. that next year. Uh, I will be honest. I think our offense bailed us out many times. We played that defense ended up being the, the number one team in the state during the regular season, as far as uh, points per game. Yeah. A lot of those guys were young. They were sophomores and juniors. Um, kind of like your first year as DC right. you had some young sophomores and you knew they were going to be good. Um, but we won, you know, we were 11 and four the year that we went to the state semifinals and yeah. we were only seven and three. I mean, that's a good record. I'll take it every day of the week now as a head coach. Yeah. But um, I mean, we were only seven and three going into the playoffs, uh, you know, and so that, that was, that was tough. Are, are we, you know, yeah, I think we're seven, three going into the playoffs. I think you might have to do a little fact checking on me there. But um, but but I guess my point is we we had our our defense uh, wasn't the strength that it was the next few years um, because our offense, you know, really kind of, you know, bailed our defense out, you know, that year. I think that year we averaged giving up like almost 21 points a game, but our offense scored, you know, 28, 29, 30, somewhere in there every every week. Uh, so they helped us that next year we were really good um, on defense and we were able to like it felt a little more comfortable as the DC have been able to like actually stop people more often um, and let the the team rely on the defense a little more yeah I I went back and fact checked it and and coach Stiffen mentioned this that that season that you went to the state semis you got off to an 0-2 start right a six-point loss to Clear Creek and then a five-point loss to Hightower so losing some close games off the bat right Lost to Elkins. Yeah, I know that one's got to be tough, 35-28. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're, you were correct, 7-3 and three heading into the playoffs. Yeah, so we ended up being 11-4 and four that year and really relied on the offense, to be honest. You know, even though I was the D.C. Of a, of a team that went to the state semifinals, you know, our offense really, really held their own and really bailed out our defense. You know, the next two years, we were really pretty strong on defense, um, you know, and let, let that be a backbone. But that in 15, I, I felt like the offense really bailed us out a lot. Yeah, and it's funny. Yeah, it, it's exactly history repeats itself. That is exactly our first year on varsity together. We're pretty weak defensively, you know, but then got better and better because we had that we had those sophomores coming up, um, you know. But a big part of your success as you as you got the job, you, you obviously you're so accomplished as a defense coordinator at Ridgepoint. But then you, you get your first head coaching job at Seven Lakes. I think I'd be remiss to talk about a guy that we both know, and that's Phil Dober. And I just, for me, it's kind of really cool. I just feel like it's history repeating itself in a way, like just all this, what you and I are able to do together at Ridgepoint, which Coach Dover was a huge part of that. But now that I get to be a broadcaster and I get to watch all these games, I, I always put in requests, give me seven lakes, give me seven lakes as much as I can um, to, to the schedulers. But seeing him on the sideline, working alongside you and just what you've done in that incredible first year and everything that's followed, like, I've, I just feel like your relationship with him, I would imagine, is similar to what, what you and I had when we were at Ridgepoint. So what's it like having someone like that that you can just, you know, trust so much and, and lean on to help you lead the program? Well, if you haven't asked Phil to be on your podcast, I think you need to get him on your podcast. Uh, and I'll, I'll help encourage him to, to uh, take that invitation and do oh, yeah. it because I think he'd be a great guy to talk to. 
because he's an up and coming. He he's a he's he's a head coach in waiting. Yes, um, he he's ready. Um, he's going to get his opportunity soon. I'm not going to have him forever, and I'd love to because you know, like you talked about, you know, me and you fit together really well, and he and I fit together really well. You know, we have a similar like we we you know we both taught math. We both yeah. coach football and baseball at Ridge Point together, so we have that. But we're a little different. Like sideline demeanors are, we're we're a little different. Um, and you know, he's a fire. I'm a, I'm a fiery guy too on the sideline. Yeah. Um, but we can play off each other. You know, right. he's fiery on the sideline. I can calm us down, and then when it's time for me to get fiery, he can calm me down. That's right. Yep. You know, because you know, there's a time. Use a time like where you always feel like you know the officials are out to get you. You know, they're not. But that's how it <laughs> right, feels right, sometimes. Right, right. Like. How are you calling us for holding? You don't see all they're holding. They're doing the same thing we're doing. Sure. Um, but no, he he is a he's a head coach in waiting. It's just a matter of time. He's going to get his opportunity at the right school in, in the right fit. Um, you know, to be honest, if if I if I um, had you know if I have my other hat, my campus athletic coordinator hat, pull me away. I know I might the football program's in good hands. He's going to make decisions. What's best for the program. And, and he's probably going to make a decision much like I would make it um, because we've been together a long time, you know, both as assistants and then as coordinator and head coach, we, you know, we've been together, you know, nine years, I think going in or maybe even 10 now. So, I mean, we know each other, how each other think um, he, he's, he's, he's smart and intelligent. Uh, he's great defensively X's and O's, but you know, we right now at this point in our career, we, we talk a lot about like program culture and we talk about the type of offenses that, you know, give us trouble and, you know, ways to make our program at Seven Lakes better, whether they're little tweaks about the way we practice, um, the way we structure our staff, uh, who we're going to play in non-district, you know, um, what, what personnel we need on the field to get the, to get the most out of our players, um, to maximize the talent that we have. Um, you know, we talk about how to get guys recruited, you know, how to retain staff and retain players. I mean, I, I, I you know, I feel like it's my role um, to, to help prepare him to be a head coach and a campus coordinator. And I'm going to involve him in as many of those opportunities as I can so that, you know, you're net, you, you would probably be the perfect person to talk about this and I can too, but as much as you think you're prepared for that first year on the job, you're not, yep. no matter how much you think you know what you're doing, that's right. You're not till you've done it. And I'm doing my best to try to make those, um, you know, those opera or I don't know the right way to say it, but to, to make the opportunities for him uh, not have such a steep learning curve when he gets his, his opportunity. Um, so trying to involve them on like why we, why we make the decisions the way we make them and encourage him to like ask questions um, and try to figure out, you know, kind of the behind the scenes of why you do what you do. And um, he, he's ready right now. And I hope I get to keep him for 10 more years. But I know it's just a matter of time where he's going to get his opportunity. And I'm going to be I'm going to wish him well and, you know, and try to help him as much as I can. I don't know how much he'll help he'll need, but yeah. I'll be there if he needs it. No, no, no. And, and yes, the invitation has been extended. I think he's Maybe he's in Ohio and so vacation. I, I think he, we are in communication. So there will be a coach Phil Dober uh, episode coming down the pipe. And, you know, my, my favorite memory of Dober, and this is before you got here, 
but he was one of kind of like the, he was there at the beginning, like when we were at Baines Middle School because we didn't have you know still finishing up the school. And I just I just remember he impressed me so much off the bat because the guy is just like a workaholic. I mean, he just moves at like two x speed. Like when I listen to podcasts, I always play them in two x speed. Dober moves through life at two x speed. Like I just remember him tearing apart these boxes of Rydell shoulder pads and throwing them and just cut. He just was a, like a tornado, just putting nothing, stuff nothing's away. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed, Bobo. It's still the same way. He's a workhorse. I mean, any task that that I need done, I know that. I mean, I try not to give him all the tasks, right? Because but he could do them all. And, and if if uh, I need something important done that that I can't handle. I need some advice on how to handle it. He's, he's my go-to guy. And Jimmy, you raised a great point. I agree with you 100%. When I first got to Aldean, I thought I was ready coming from Ridgepoint and being successful. And that there's so many things that you, you can't know them until you sit in that seat. And so for young coaches listening or for head coaches, I would encourage to do what you've been doing, including a protege like Phil in some of those higher level, bigger picture things. I know when I was at DC at Ridgepoint, Coach Sniffin would call me back there and he was showing me things, but I was just the way that I was, I was always kind of eccentric. Like I was just always like really interested in like some of the little things, like just being around the players and I don't know, the, the lifting or the track, throwing the discus in the shot, like little things or, or my basketball coaching. I, I didn't, I think looking back on it, if I could have balanced my time better and spent more time of coach sniffing, talking about some of those more campus athletic coordinator hat type things, I would have been better prepared, but I just got so invested into things that I found interesting with, you know, with the players. So that definitely is something to consider uh, for young coaches and head coaches alike as they go through that process. But uh, as far as many got there, I just, my, one of my favorite memories or one of my favorite things in sports, Jimmy, is the upset. Like I said, that win against Elkins, I cherish it so much because I felt like that was an upset and we didn't think we were underdogs. We thought we were pretty dang good and weren't getting respected, but yeah, but at that tight, time, you know, <laughs> at, that, at that time, though, they had Jonathan Giles. Yes. He was yes. an all world quarterback at the time. And he went on to Texas Tech and played a bleak play receiver there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had a great plan for him. And I remember that was a big focus. And no one was I mean, we're kind of the new kids on the block. And Elkins was kind of established. And, you know, they had a big time. And I, he wasn't the only he's the one that comes to mind right now. Yeah. But he wasn't their only high, highly touted recruit. And so we we were definitely. Uh, kind of the new kids on the block and that was huge for our program just in general because uh, it kind of like you know springboarded us forward it felt like um, to some of the successes we would have later and since we were new th- this was our first varsity meetup with Elkins but we had played in sub varsity and they kind of just owned us for the most part you know they were bigger faster stronger older and, and were winning all these various different you know basketball were playing them and they were they were thumping us um, so d- I guess I'm leading up to the Cinco win and this is something that I had no idea. I know Seven Lakes has been around for a pretty good while. I mean, it still looks new, but it's, yeah, 2005. I mean, I remember playing them when I was at Clements. Uh, Coach Ruthart, my good friend, his first job was at Seven Lakes. I mean, under Kevin O'Keefe when they started the school. That was a long, that was a long time ago. I had no idea, A, that Seven Lakes had never been to the playoffs. I thought they'd Well, I have there. to correct you there. They had been to the playoffs um, two other times. They'd okay. been to the playoffs early on in 4A. And then they had been into the playoffs uh, in at the time five uh, A before there was a six A. So, so I so when I got on that first year and we played Ridgepoint, it actually was the third time we had made the playoffs. I but see. it okay. was the first time we beat Cinco in school history. Okay, so sorry, yeah, sorry I got those facts uh, mixed up there. But the, the Cinco part still that I mean I know Cinco's been great under Coach Clayton, but I just thought for sure Seven Lakes got to win one of those years. So that that really surprised me, but. I understand that sometimes it, it's mental too when a team can beat you that many times in a row. So can you just describe 
the lead up to that game and then just the euphoria that engulfed the campus after you pulled off that big win. Yeah. I mean, Cinco, it was, it was coach Clayton's, you know, coach Clayton is a, is a, you know, hall of honor type coach, you know, and, and he had been at Cinco, I think since, since the school opened in 99. And so when I, when it was the fall of 18 and it ended up being his, he ended up retiring uh, after that season. It ended up being his last, and they were a little bit down. Uh, so we caught him at the right time. Um, and we, you know, we were playing pretty good. We were coming in that game. Um, and it was one of those, we needed to win that game to make the playoffs. Um, you know, at that point, they, they couldn't make the playoffs, but it was a rival, right? We talked about it earlier about score and scores and stats and records don't matter when you're playing a rival. Mm-hmm. And um, we knew we had to come in and, I, uh, and win and we ran we went we went uh one excuse me we won 40 to 10 and and i remember getting into like late in the third quarter early in the fourth and we kind of had it handled and i kind of remember like like I, I thinking to myself well, i think we're gonna win this game i yeah. i don't know how we're gonna give away this many points you know like i mean it can happen so yeah. I'm, I'm not counting my chickens too early or anything but i remember just trying to like soak it in and uh you know the crowd went crazy i mean you know uh the players were so ecstatic and, you know, and since then, you know, that, that class of kids that kind of paved the way, because since then we haven't lost to them the next three years later. Now they're really, really good this year. We're going to have a work cut out for us. You know, they got a really good quarterback. They got really two really good receivers uh, and really three good receivers, a good back. Um, They're really good qualified for the seven on seven um, state tournament did well there. Um, You know, went to the third round of the playoffs last year. So, I mean, we, we got our work cut out for it, but we beat them last year. And I think people forget that. If you looked at Dave Campbell, Texas football, you know, they gave us bulletin board material over there, you know. So, you know, we're, we're looking forward to playing. You know, we don't play them until week 10. But, um, you know, we haven't lost to them. You know, these guys don't know. They ha- they've never lost to them, right? And so yeah. they don't know any different than, like, they, they, they don't know the history prior to them. I, I mean, they, they probably do if we told them. But they just know that they, they beat them every time they play them. And I want to keep it that way, dude. That's a great point. I haven't had, I've been so busy having a newborn and just job and podcasting. I, I have not gotten my Dave Campbell's yet. So are, are you telling me that you're picked at the bottom or is that? Well, I'm, I'm telling you that, um, what that was the bulletin picked, board material? I'm very the curious. Bulletin board material. You're going to make, you know, I'm, I'm going to use this in a team meeting, by the way, yeah. um, is they have, you know, and, and it's not surprising, right? Katie's number one sure. in the district. Tompkins is number two, not surprising. And honestly, not surprising. Peyto coming off a state championship sure. is, is pick three, but Cinco's pick four and we're pick five. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, but we've never lost to Cinco in the last four years. How can they be picked four and we're picked five? And then if you look further, they, they released their six, a top 50 and, you know, Cinco's in their top 50, you know, with, of course, I mean, Katie's in there, Tompkins in there, Peyto's yeah. in there, and then and then Cinco's in there in their top 50, and I'm over there like, I just, I just you know, we're going to play with a chip on our shoulder. If the sure. media types don't think that we're good enough to, to beat Cinco, then we're going to prove them wrong, and we're going to use that as motivation all year. No doubt. And it's a real thing, and that's why, I like, for me, it's hard being in the media sometimes because I, I'm a coach at heart, and so that's why I don't make predictions. <laughs> it fits off any of my good friends, you know, but, uh, yeah, that's – that's interesting, Manny, that you say that, like your group of kids never lost to him. And it's kind of like, as you know, you know, Coach Dober is a big Ohio State fan. I'm a big Michigan fan. And he and I are both rational. Like we actually have lots of great rational conversation. We're still friends. We don't go get nuts about the game. But 
those Michigan players, you know, we finally got over the hump and won last year. There was the COVID year. And so a lot of the Michigan players haven't lost to Ohio State now, you know, that passage of time. And so, yeah, I, I can understand how something that was once so one-sided, you know, times have changed. And so I, I cannot wait. I, well, I hope not, I am here. Now, don't get me don't get me lying on your podcast. I'm not saying they're not going to be really, really good. And we're, we got our yeah. work cut out for us. There are no slouches. We're going to have to play well. I mean, it could be, I mean, who knows? I mean, we play them week 10. It could be one of those, like, the winner's in, you know, kind right. of game. You know, that's what it could be. So, I mean, we got our work cut out for us. Don't get me wrong. And they're really good. Coach Dudley over at Chris Dudley at Cinco has done an outstanding job uh, of, of, you know, taking the program when it was a little down and making and making them contenders and uh so i mean i i'm I'm looking forward to playing them but at the same time i'm I'm cautious because i know they're really good yeah and that's understandable because i remember uh i remember broadcasting their game when i uh, was a sophomore uh, when gavin rutherford was a sophomore and i mean he just really impressed me then i can only imagine you know where he's at now and so that that state uh seven on seven appearance is definitely not surprised that that's gonna be a great game I, i hope i can get the call for that one me too. Uh, me too. Definitely want to be there for that. But okay, so you know, uh, Seven Lakes. You know, you 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 the the ten, everyone's excited. You know, throwing a party down Main Street. You know, at at, at campus. But job's not over. <laughs> you know, not only did you that game helped you punch a ticket to the the ultimate goal, which is the advance into the playoffs. And boy, if you were asking for an encore, you sure got it, and you gave it in an in instant classic. I broadcasted a lot of games that left coaching. I think that may be one of the greatest games I ever was able to broadcast that that's first ever Ridgepoint seven lakes game. I mean, just one year removed from being their defensive coordinator and you're, you're facing, you're facing coach sniffing, you're facing those same players. I mean, you're, you're at hall stadium, you know, the place where you, you know, patrolled that sidelines and press box for years and years. So what was that like? You got to tell us. I mean, what was it? I'm sure all the listeners, especially the Ridgepoint ones, they want to know from your perspective, going to the other side, what was that like? Well, I think, you know, when, when I got the job after the 17 season in the spring, you know, the, the spring of 2018, I mean, you know, I think everybody gets their first job. They look at their schedule and they start going, okay, if we can get in the playoffs and if we can beat these teams in the regular season, and if we're lucky enough to get in the playoffs, like who's it going to be, you know, looking at, you know, how 6A division splits are. And I'm like, well, we're going to be division one. I got to think Rich Point's going to be division one. Like, you know, we got a real good shot to play them, you know, next year or, you know, in the first, my first year as head coach. And so, like, it wasn't surprising. Like, when we got in, we knew who we were going to play. Like, they were already waiting for us. They were there scouting. I remember Coach Fisher, Chris Fisher's on staff there and Brett Sniffin, they were there scouting. They came down and talked to us and we talked a little bit about, you know, the next round of the playoffs, like right then after the game. Um, but the, like, I guess the lead up to it that week, uh, I told you, I was, I sent you the picture over text, but yeah. my principal, Carrie Finneson, who's a great supporter of athletics. Um, she knows I'm kind of like more of the, you know, uh, I, I want to be the guy that, you know, talks with their play, not so much talks with, with their words. And I'm going to let, you know, the, the play speak for itself. But she said, you know, my cheerleading coach has this idea for this banner run through, you know, I, I think it's a little outside your, you know, your, your, you know, normal, uh, what you would normally like, but, you know, she wants to put on there and this is the quote, Hey, Rich point. Thanks for your co- coach. Please accept your L as payment. And so they painted that on the run through <laughs> and 
And I was like, man, that's a bold statement. That is a bold statement. But I mean, it's only going to be up there 30 seconds, right? So, right. you know, why not? You know, I mean, I thought it was clever. Um, it was a nice play on like, you know, that I had been there for all those years sure. before. Um, and, you know, I didn't know how that game was going to go, but I thought we could compete. But, there, you know, any Brett Sniffin team is going to be well coached and disciplined, and they surely were. But, you know, that was awesome, that 14-10 game. I mean, it was a game I'll never forget, you know, over at Hall Stadium. Um, the lead up to it, like I knew all I, I felt like I knew all the players. I felt like I knew all the coaches. I was calling guys by name, like, you know, before the game, you know, yeah. uh, I remember at one point, I think I think Rich Point called a timeout. John Paul Richardson, who was playing receiver for them, was on our sideline. And I hollered at him. Hey, John Paul, we're coming after you. Not as playful. Yeah. You know, we're coming after you. We, we got you locked down. You know, yeah. so like Nelson Caesar you know, was playing you yeah. know, defensive end. Like I, I, I had just, I mean, I was six months removed from coaching all these guys, Yeah. you know? So, so that was like a lot, you know, for me probably um, heightened uh, compared to the, the players in our staff, but, you know, I, I felt like I knew all the coaches, all the players. I felt like, you know, I, I knew like basically how their offensive game, defensive game plans were going to work. You know, I didn't know how they were versus us, but I kind of knew like in, in essence, how they would, how they like to do things. Right. Um, and so, you know, had a lot of, um, a lot of time trying to figure, you know, trying to figure them out what they might do to us, but it was a, it was a great game uh, when we had an opportunity to, to win it and that's all you can ask for. So it was, it was fun. And as if once wasn't enough, I mean, <laughs> you, you just, you've gone to the playoffs three times and every time you faced your old, your old friends at Ridgepoint. So it just, that's unusual. You know, that, that's, it's unusual. So, I mean, what do you, what do you, what is just kind of your thoughts on, on having to play the Panthers three times uh, in every playoff appearance you, you've had as a, as a head coach? Yeah. So, you know, I've been at Seven Lakes four years and we made the playoffs three times facing Ridge Point three times. Um, you know, it's part of, it's part of the way 6A does their division one and division two. It's kind of naturally on, on enrollment. And we're a larger enrolling school in KDISD and they're larger in Fort Bend. So it's kind of naturally how sure. it works out. Um, you know, could it happen again if we could make the playoffs? I, I think it could happen again uh, if, if we can make the playoffs again. Um, you know, I, I think to myself, like, I wish that UIL would, like, change the numbers. Like, we're number 19 6A. They're number 26A. Mm. Maybe, like, somehow, like, mix up the numbers so that isn't our first-round opponent. Um, or, like, maybe enrollment numbers are going to get a little different one year where we don't have to face them. But at the same time, like, as much as, I, re, you know, I respect Rick LaFavors and what he does now with, with that program and, and all the success they've had, both with Brett and with Rick. Um, part of me is like, give me somebody different to play. But at the same, and on the other hand, it's like, well, no, give us another chance at him. Sure. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of like, I'm kind of torn, you know, um, you know, I'm now removed far enough where like those players, I don't know. Right. The coaching staff has turned over enough with Rick there and right. his staff changes. I don't know as many guys, just a few guys there, but, you know, I still, you know, I still feel like, um, you know, they still hold a, you know, a, a part of my, you know, my past that's still nostalgic to me, you know, when we see them. Well, and, you know, the another cool thing about your career, you you have, you know, you talk about Dover, Coach Dover's to be the next head coach that that's coming kind of from from the tree that, that you've been a part of. But there's there's several guys, of course, Rick LaFavors was in that defensive meeting room with us in that 2015 season. He was a great, he's a huge part of our staff and our success that year. Now he's the head coach at Ridgepoint. 
just doing a great job. And I, I love how he always does pay homage to the past. He, he speaks all the time about, you know, we are, we are standing on the shoulders of giants. It's things of that nature. He, he really does recognize what happened even before, you know, he got there. Uh, Coach Darnell was 26A coach of the year, the year this year, and just a phenomenal turnaround season. They were one and nine two years ago, and then four and six the year before, got seven wins this year. So just incredible job by Coach Darnell. Of course, Coach Ojeda, who we've spoken at length, He's another big friend of the show, as, as listeners may know. He's taken over Aldean High School, which is where I coached, where I was the head coach for two years. So Coach Ojeda, I'm an extreme fan of. I, I bleed blue, kind of like you still bleed the Columbia blue. I'm, I bleed Columbia blue as well. I, I love Aldean High School, and so I'm wishing the best. I'm excited, uh, you know, for him there. And then this is one coach I don't know, but you, you talked about Coach O'Neill, uh, who is now at Toulouse Midway. But can you just kind of speak to what it's been like to be around so many um, – guys that were able to move on become head coaches i think you know as a as a football coach in texas you're going to work with a lot of great coaches who are you know going to elevate themselves into that head coaching role some someday and so it's nice to be able to rub elbows and to work alongside with guys that end up you know you like you knew they were a good coach when you're working with them as an assistant and that you're not surprised that they end up in those roles uh, you know, what, however, fast forward, however many years till they get their opportunity. Uh, so it's, it's been really neat, you know, uh, actually getting to like be an assistant with some of these guys, you know, with, with Rick, uh, at rich point with Bobby at rich point with, with Ojeda, both as at rich point, but also, you know, against him, um, mm-hmm. in passing ISD. And then, you know, Chris O'Neill was actually a staff member of ours at seven lakes who went on to mm-hmm. be, okay. uh, at Toloso midway and, and so, he, you know, he's the AD and he had football coach at Tulsa Midway. So it's, you know, those are guys that I've worked with directly. And I know I've got other guys that I've worked with that have been head coaches before. And so that, that's really neat uh, to, to see that happen. And, and it, it's neat when it's one of your own. Um, and it's neat when, when it, it becomes a guy that you know personally and that you know is going to succeed in those roles because, uh, because of the work that you've seen them do. You know, one thing I always ask all of my guests, you know, is I, I started this podcast because coaches, you know, are my heroes growing up. And I, I think that coaches are some of the best things we got going in our society. So now that I'm a broadcaster and I'm kind of up in press boxes or in the stands or things of that nature, and I sometimes I hear some negative stuff coming from coming out of parents' mouths. And it's just something that really bothers me, Jimmy. It really does to my core just because of how I feel about coaches. So I think when parents do that, I understand it's coming from a place of love. You know, they love their kids. And so that's, you know, that's why maybe they're saying some things that maybe if in a calmer situation, they wouldn't say, but what, what advice would you give to a parent? Cause I hope parents listen to this podcast as well. I mean, that, that's why I bring in such great coaches. I want parents to hear how professional and, and intelligent our coaches are. What advice would you give to a parent in how to allow their child to have the best possible athletic experience? So I've listened to you ask every, every one of you guests right. this question. Yep. And so being a head football coach that does do some media interviews uh, from time to time, when I'm listening to the interview, I'm answering the question myself. So I've thought about this question a bunch. Okay. Um, and I'm going to take a little bit different approach to answering this question. I think that maybe some of the other ones took. I have a unique situation where my oldest son is going to be a ninth grader for, for Seven Lakes uh, this coming fall. Mm. And I'm going to take the approach of like, I'm a parent now too. I'm going to be coach, but I'm his dad. You yeah. know, so like I've been in the stands as a parent watching him in junior high and then in, you know, in some of the baseball that he plays, mm-hmm. you know, select ball and all that. And I keep my mouth shut, Kobo. I, I don't say anything. I want to be a good parent for that coach. I don't want to yell at him from the sideline or from the yeah. stands. Yeah. I don't want to come back behind him and ask about playing time. 
or strategy or why you did. I just sit back. Now, if they ask me for help or ask to consult with me, I'll give them everything. I All my thoughts. Sure. But if they don't ask, I don't say because I want to be a parent. So I guess what I'd say to the parents is, you know, just enjoy being a parent. Enjoy watching your kids play. Um, it goes by so fast. I mean, it doesn't feel like that long ago. My son you know, wasn't even in elementary school, you know, and now he's going to be a freshman on our football team here in a, in a couple of weeks. And maybe by the time the show airs, you know, playing, you know, playing in practice and, and scrimmages and, you know, th- those memories that he's going to have, you know, or what I remember growing up and I want them to be good memories. You know, I want them to be something he looks on fondly, you know, dad's going to be coach, you know, so that's unique for him. Um, but I don't want them to be the kind of memories where I constantly, now it's a little bit different, you know, do I come into my own office and schedule myself a meeting? You know, that's a little different, but um, you know, that that part won't be the case, but I just want him to enjoy playing and I don't want it to be a burden. I don't want to wear him out about it. I don't want to coach him. Like as soon as he gets in the car after the game is, is just, wear them out about what he yeah. did wrong. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want to do that. And so I think for the parents, I think if you remember that like so many kids, this is it for them. Like high school sports is, is where they're going to end. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just right. the reality of it. And I think parents forget that this are, these are going to be the memories that those kids live, live with and, and think about when they're 40, 50, 60 years old, those are going to be the guys when they go to their high school reunions that they go and, seek out their teammates that's who they're going to seek out and you know if if as a parent we put bad taste in our kids mouth whether it's we're complaining about the coaching staff all the time we're complaining about the way how much playing time they get or the strategies that they use you know and that's what the kid hears we're going to attain our kid to our coaches and and i don't think we want to do that no i don't that's not what i i wouldn't want that as a professional as a coach and i don't want to do that to my son who's trying to be the best athlete he can be you know maybe his career ends at high school and I want those times to be the best uh memories that he can have and so I guess I would just say to the parents that are listening you know is just enjoy watching them play enjoy letting them be kids enjoy the memories that you're going to make and 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 don't worry so much about how much playing time they get or whether they went for it on fourth down and they should have punted or whatever the case may be um just, just try to enjoy them as a, as a high school athlete and, um, and tell them that you enjoy watching them play because they're going to remember that too. Um, and, and that's what I guess I would tell parents right now. Absolutely. Now we're kind of getting towards the end of the coaching portion of the show. This is where we kind of just have a little bit of fun, get to hear a little bit more about you and some cool things. A couple brushes with fame in high school. <laughs> You played against Corey Redding, of course, uh, from North Shore Mustangs, UT Longhorns, uh, drafted by the Lions. Uh, so what? You were a quarterback, so I'm like I'm 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 envisioning right now how that ended up. So, but what was your what was your brush of Corey Redding? So Corey Redding played linebacker at North Shore. He didn't Ooh. play he didn't play uh, defensive line yet. Um, and so I remember vividly, like I I don't I think he played inside backer in their four three. It could have been an outside backer, but he played linebacker. And I remember seeing him um, one time, like we were running like a we were a traditional pro I team and we were running like a bootleg. And I remember him like stepping up in the gap and he was going to, you know, blitz the gap. And I'm thinking, I hope when I turn my back, he, he's not, you know, tackling me in the backfield before I can even make my fake, you know? So 
Um, I just remember him being all like just a, a highly touted recruit. I don't think we had like back in the, the late mid to the late nineties, we didn't have like the recruiting rankings like we do now, sure. but you just knew he was a D one player, you know, go on to be a pro player. So that's kind of neat. That's kind of neat. I just remember being, you know, every, every bit of intimidating as you would expect a D one player who could plays in the NFL to be when he was in high school, not, not like with what he said, but just his sure. physical presence, sure. you know? Um, and then he was, you know, highly, highly, highly recruited. Um, and you knew he was going to be really, really good. I didn't know he was going to play in the NFL, but that was kind of neat. That's kind of funny. Like I think back to my playing days and uh, Marvin Nash who's a team player alum. He's also an Austin college alum. He's a recruiting coordinator and co-OC at San Marcos high school, but he talks about, he brings his parents in and they look at rosters and be like, let's look at what a UT offensive lineman looked like. Are you six, five, 300? And I would, I think back to my playing days, the couple D one guys that I came against or there's one NFL player, Herbert Taylor, uh, who went to TCU and played a little bit in the NFL. I remember he was at Hightower when I was at Austin. They're just different. And I just remember, like, I remember there was this guy, Tim Washington, who uh, ended up a couple years younger from Dulles that played at LSU. And he was tall and skinny. He's like six, five, but skinny. And I was like, oh, this kid's just a sophomore. I'm going to pull around on counter. I'm going to kick him out and blow him up. Man, I, he just shucked me right off. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and yeah. even, you know, even when they're, they're still young and skinny, they just they have that certain leverage and power and pop and there's just something special about d1 athletes so i, I agree with, with coach nash there's sometimes there's just a gift and yes you have to nurture it but let's be realistic you know who the d1 athletes are and, and who aren't so i, I can I, I agree with you when you said you could just tell there's something different about Corey writing uh that's for sure now another one josh beckett and i definitely remember the name i remember him being a red Sox, uh but i had to kind of do a little bit of google searching on wikipedia just to refresh my memory and i learned on wikipedia um that he was drafted by the Marlins. Uh, they called him a bulldog on the mound is how they described him. His nickname was Kid Heat, his senior year of high school. So do, they're also saying that he had a perceived arrogance. And actually, he would have been taken number one by the Rays. But because that arrogance issue, that was what led uh, Tampa Bay, uh, the Devil Rays at the time, to select uh, Josh Hamilton with the number one pick. Good, good so pick, too, though. Yeah, he ended up going pick two to the Florida Marlins at the time. And not now, yeah, I'm saying Marlins. Josh Hamilton was a good pick, also. Though. Oh, yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Josh, Josh was, he couldn't go wrong in those top, top <laughs> two there. But, um, I'm just curious. I didn't know all that about Josh Beckett. Did, did, did you catch any of that that he was kid heat and kind of was had a perceived like arrogance thing? Was that, was that something you could tell or knew about? Or I, I didn't know him personally. And you know, we played like in the, in the summer baseball circuit. So I like had heard about him. I didn't know, I didn't know him personally. And I didn't perceive any arrogance. I didn't know about any of that. Um, we did know that he threw gas. I mean, yeah. Well, we, you know, when he, when he pitched that year, I mean, we, it was, it was early May. So the, you know, back then the June draft, you know, where the, where they were going to come, they were, you know, all the scouts were out again, just to like, I guess, double check. I mean, not that they didn't know, but I remember that game. I mean, I don't know if there were 25 radar guns up as soon as he stepped on the mound. Yeah. So he was throwing 94, 95. And I had never seen, and since then, like in person, in person, never yeah. seen 94, 95. And we all, we all thought he's going to be the number one pick in the, in the draft. And that's what we all thought. Once again, the recruiting rankings or the, the predictions, what, you know, with the internet wasn't like what it is sure. now. Sure. So I, I think we all knew that he was going to get drafted. We all thought he was going number one. Cause that was, you know, like, like old wives tales or whatever they, they grow. Yeah. And so that was like leading up to that, like, Oh, he's going to be the number one pick in the draft and you know, he's going to go pro. He makes go straight from high school to the pros, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Just because you let that snowball as a high school kid. But um, yeah, I mean, he was every bit as advertised. That's for sure. 
<laughs> so he he threw he threw heat, um, and he you know he he made easy work of us. Unfortunately. Well, that's the thing. I was wondering if you picked up on it, that arrogance because I also I truly do believe that some of that stuff is planted. I I I, I would not put it past Josh Hamilton's agents to put out news stories <laughs> that seriously that Beckett has an attitude problem to try to help their client get the number one pick. I mean, I'm not saying that's true or that I have any evidence. I'm just saying I could see a, a realm of possibilities. That is, that's a possibility. So, I mean, uh, any guy that's that, that good at that young of an age, they're going to have a confidence about them. They, sure. I mean, that's natural. Sure. Um, but I, I mean, I didn't see it. Uh, so I, I can't speak to that. And then the last guy that you listed was JP Howell uh, ended up being another, another Ray Tampa Bay Ray uh, at the university of Texas. So any, any recollections from that encounter? Yeah. So uh, we played uh, when I was at AM Corpus, my junior year, he was also a junior. Uh, we, uh, excuse me, my senior year, we played, he was a, I believe he's a junior. Uh, we, we opened up with university of Texas. We actually uh, at little old AM Corpus, we beat him five, nothing. I was on the mound and wow. he was on the mound for, for uh, UT. Um, so he had, he had, it was early in the season. So like pitch count was kind of a thing. And yeah. he actually had, he pitched six shutout, no hit innings when he got taken out. Um, we knew he was going to be the real deal. We knew yeah. he would get drafted eventually. Um, and you know, pitch, he pitched, I mean, I think until like just 2017, maybe in, in a couple different teams yeah. and a really good, a really good pitcher, um, uh, for, I didn't face him, but he was, you know, we pitched against each other. That's, that's awesome. So I guess it was a scoreless game going into the top of the seventh and then y'all were able to. Yeah. We ended up beating him five, nothing. So we got some runs off the bullpen um, when he got taken out. Very cool. That's a really cool story. I, I, I don't remember you telling that one, but that's awesome. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't tell it to coach Fisher and rub it in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As far as favorite teams, I mean, I kind of knew the answer to this one, but I did get uh, one little bit. I kind of, well, I knew some of this. Your favorite teams, you said for sure, Houston teams, Astros, Rockets, Texans. And then this makes sense, but I don't necessarily, I didn't know this, but you said you enjoy watching Big Ten college football because of the style of play. And then as soon as I read that, I said, yeah. And you, you talked about the tough nose defensive ball games uh, with a variety of offenses. So I definitely make sense. I don't, I don't think I remember you knowing that, but it makes sense. I, I think, Although, yeah. Oh, Go I was going to say, I think, um, you know, in recent, in, in, I guess in recent years, you know, try, you know, my alma mater doesn't have a football team. So I'm like always trying to like, you know, who, who do I root for? And I sure. think like naturally I just kind of root for the Aggies of A&M just because right. it's a sister school. But then I like, I just, you know, having a lot of kids that have been recruited at, at a lot of these universities and a lot of the, the conferences, I just like the style of play of the big 10. Yeah. I like, you know, the two back offenses, the tough nose defenses. I like, like, even though I don't want to coach in this weather, I like seeing the weather yeah. that they play yeah, in, yeah. you know, and, and I just feel like that's just like, like uh, a hard nosed, tough man's league, you know, that they play in a little bit different than the big 12, you know, and maybe slightly different than the sec, you know, in the pac 12. So, yeah. And t- just, well, times just, are changing. Cause now there's going to be conference games in sunny LA, Yeah, true, <laughs> right? true. but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm obviously a, a big 10 fan as well. And we, well, you can always jump on the Wolverine bandwagon. We had a great season last year. If you're looking for a team, we can team up against coach Dober there, but, uh, <laughs> but no, so that's, that's fun. So now we're, we're to the start bench cut portion of the show. I mean, this is everybody's favorite part of the show. Of course, as we all know, this brought to us by our good friends at MVP marketing group. That's a turnkey marketing solution for schools. If you go to their website in the show notes, uh, longtime Denton Ryan head football coach and now AD Joey Florence is a client. 
And so they, they use uh, this uh, MVP marketing group services. Basically what Mike, Mike Vogler, the CEO does is, is he helps schools come up with, with plans to attract sponsors. So if you want to try to generate more revenue for your facilities in your district through sponsorships, Mike Vogler is an expert. I worked with him at Dactronics and now he's struck out on his own and started his own marketing company. So just give him a call. Just, just talk to him, see if it's, it's a good fit. And if you like what he, what he has, they're going to give you a team player podcast discount if you tell him Coach Kovo sent you. So uh, definitely something to consider. All right, here we go. Now we're going into the start bench cuts. You are a great pitcher yourself, so I want to play a Astros pitching edition. And I kind of I, and I, I thought about throwing Nolan Ryan in there. I'm wearing a Nolan Ryan jersey because I know you went to Alvin Community College, and you know he's, he's the Alvin Express. Uh, but I, I just didn't do that. I went a little more modern, just maybe a little more, maybe what you were watching when you were coming up through school. But uh, Roy Oswalt. Billy Wagner, Justin Verlander. And if you want to sub out somebody else, by all means do. But I've, for, I've got start bench cut for you, Roy Oswalt, Billy Wagner, Justin Verlander. And you picked three guys that I love watching pitch. Okay, perfect. Um, you know, so like if I, if I, if I, I think if I did this, if I went with my heart, I'd, I'd do differently than I, I went like as a coach sure, uh, sure. into this. So, you know, if I went with my heart, I just have nostalgia of watching Roy Oswalt start the games yeah. and Billy Wagner that he was kind of a small bulldog left-handed pitcher that yeah, threw yeah. flames, you know, and, and Verlander came on later, but I think, I think if I have to do it, like if I was really a coach having to do it, I hate to do this. I, I think I got to start Justin Verlander. He's, he's uh, you know, just the, I mean, uh, right now you watch him pitch and he's like lights out coming off those surgeries that he's yeah. had. And, you know, it's great with the Tigers been been great with the Astros. You know, he's a guy that you can, you know, throw a lot of pitches with and, and he's a workhorse. And so it's kind of hard not to start him, um, you know, and I think, you know, next, like, I don't know who I want to bench. Uh, I think maybe nostalgia comes into play here. Uh, I really like Rose Walt. So yeah. I think I, I don't even want to cut Billy Wagner, but I guess I have to just because Royce Walt could eat up some innings too. Sure. Billy Wagner was a closer. So I guess I got to, yeah. I got to cut him. Uh, I don't want to, because I, I love watching him pitch too. No doubt. That, that was a, I gave you a tough one there. And I, I always do. I always do this. And I just remember when Verlander came, my, my favorite movie of all time is major league. And, you know, there's like a little meme in there when they find out that, you know, Miss Phelps has been trying to sabotage the season and they say, Hey, there's only one thing left to do. That's win the whole bleeping thing. And I remember one of my favorite Astros, Josh Reddick, when the news came through that we traded for Verlander, he put that meme up there on Twitter and said, Hey, now there's just one thing left to do win the whole bleeping thing. You know, we did it. And so I, we all felt that way. Right. Like when we was like, we got Verlander is like, we can do this now. So that was a cool moment in, in Houston sports history, but okay. Now this last one, we're gonna go a little bit different. It was a big hit when coach sniffing on episode 14, at least for the Ridgepoint fans that I've, that have given me feedback. They love the top five edition. He gave us a top five all time Ridgepoint Panthers. It's been a long history and there's, there's so many guys that, that were left off the list that are just absolute legends uh, in Ridgepoint history. So it, it's very hard to do. You're going to get a little bit of a pass. We're going to make it a little bit easier in that we're going to have you just focus on the defensive side of the ball. Still not easy. Uh, but just to re remind the listeners, Coach Sniffen's all-time Ridgepoint top five was Chad Bailey, the inside linebacker, ended up going on to Missouri. Uh, Terry Petrie, defensive back, wide receiver, uh, you know, also uh, Missouri. Uh, Dennis Osagade, uh, defensive tackle, uh, went to UMass, I believe, and is now finishing That's at Liberty. Yeah, he went to SFA after UMass, yeah. too. So he's finishing up as a grad transfer. 
Okay. And then John, uh, John Paul Richardson, uh, the outstanding wide receiver, son of uh, Aggie legend, Bucky Richardson, former Houston Oiler. And he had a great freshman year at Oklahoma State. It was really cool watching him. And then the final uh, selection was Travis Bruffy, a big six foot seven, six, probably six, seven uh, tackle uh, played at Texas Tech. And so uh, some of these guys, I didn't quite get the pleasure of coaching, but I saw them as a broadcaster. So I can definitely verify Osaga Day Richardson. These guys are absolute dudes. Uh, so I'm just curious. We, we're going to put you on the spot now. Give us the all time Jimmy Hammond top five Ridgepoint defensive player list. Yeah. So Coach Niffin did a really good job. You know, I was listening to his podcast like trying to do it off the cuff. Um, And he picked some of the same guys I would pick, you know, since we're going to do defense for me, um, I'm going to start back in and then work to the defensive line in no particular order, Coach Cobo. So, so, um, and I, and I I hope I don't offend anybody here by leaving someone off, but I'm sure that I did. Um, (laughs) I'm going to start in the back end. You know, I coached the defensive backs when I was there at Ridgepoint. Cameron Brown has a special place in my heart because he was a hard-nosed safety Uh, played at Texas State. He was my, he's the first guy had opportunity to coach and went D1 football. Yeah. And so he was kind of, kind of a mainstay back there, mm-hmm. quarterback of our secondary, uh, keeping in the secondary. Shiler Staten uh, went on to play at Lamar, uh, great cornerback um, that made all kinds, of, just a playmaker on the defensive side of the ball. And you don't, yeah. you know, you don't always see that, but he also returned punts and kicks. And so he was a, he was a, great player for us in the back end going down to linebacker and I have one to, thing on, on Shiler coach he may have one of the Ridgepoint plays all-time plays in history against Elkins as far oh, as an individual play just in, that incredible pick six that really kind of stemmed the top turned the tide absolutely around. So shout Convert, out yeah it was awesome Shiler was a great player for us um, so in the secondary Cameron Brown and Shiler State mm-hmm. um, at linebacker I also have to include Chad Bailey uh, one of the best players I've, yeah yeah one of the best players that ever I've ever coached you know went on to Missouri as, as coach Niffin mentioned um, and also what he can do off the field too you know such a leader off the field as well and got the opportunity to coach him for four years and luckily uh, when I was leaving he was graduating so I didn't miss any of my time with him so mm. I have a special place in my heart for him and you know Justin Jackson played outside linebacker for Jack. us. yeah and, you know he was just it was like he was a magnet to the ball. He made so yeah. many plays, um, you know, and went on to play at Angelo State mm-hmm. and was a great all-conference player for them. Um, and then I agree, you know, on the defensive line, you know, I, I could have went a couple ways. You know, you talked about Torian Williams before, could have gone that way. But I also agree Dennis Osagade was, you know, he was just a playmaker for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, I kind of torn between Torian and Dennis. Sure. Uh, on the defensive line, but couldn't go wrong with either one of those players. No doubt. As far as the J-Jack selection, I mean, I, I'm really glad that you went that way because he he was someone that just always stood out to me. And I mean, I know it's, it's a little bit cliche when coaches say, oh, he's a football player. You hear that on broadcast a lot. But th- I would say Justin Jackson, that, 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 that's what you're talking about when you say a guy is just a football player. Because when he started, he was kind of small undersized he wasn't great in the weight room he wasn't the fastest he's just kind of long that changed, and and, that changed. yeah it changed he, he changed his body but really from the beginning he just was a football player he, like you see right. you've said it perfectly nose for the ball great just great all-around player um helped us so much and then yeah the guy that i always is like i just i'm always like i i was surprised in, in coach stiffens that remus bulmer didn't make it because i know how much he loved remus and he was such a lightning rod for us to turn around but then again he only played one year and then with torian that guy was just so disruptive for us. I'm like, oh, I can't believe he's not making these lists. But 
it's tough to crack these lists. And obviously, <laughs> Dennis Osagade, I didn't get to coach him, but I watched him as a broadcaster. And yes, I would agree. I'm sorry, Torian, but I would agree that Dennis Osagade is the best Ridgepoint defensive lineman that I put eyes on. Uh, he was very, very I mean, good. I thought about Nelson Caesar too. That's another you know, one, Nelson, yeah. Nelson, I just, you know, I have left the his last year, you know, so – and I know now he's, you know, got a chance to play for U of H. So he's, he's another great defensive lineman, you know, so there's, there's, there's plenty to choose from for sure. No doubt. All right. If you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have, again, please take that 10 seconds. Give us the five-star review. It makes such a difference and word of mouth. Just tell somebody, tell somebody that, that, that you're enjoying the podcast. It's been, it's been helping us so much hit the follow button. That way you'll get the new episode in your queue every single week, Sunday at 2 PM, a new episode comes out. You can follow me on Twitter at coach underscore Kobo. That's coach underscore kovo you can reach out to us team player podcast at gmail.com give us any feedback ask if you want to if you want to be on the show reach out to me that way or if you want to recommend someone we we lift up our own here we're building a community of like-minded people so i i love any interaction uh with the fans and the listeners as always the cover art and music for the team player podcast is provided by two of my former players the cover art is by kaiser saint Cyr, and our intro and exit music is one more good enough from avrion's self-titled debut album you can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. All right, Coach Hammond, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Coach. All right. Thank you so much to all the team players out there for your support, and we'll catch you all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy. And one more line, record the track just one more time My family think I bump my head, lost my mind Insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But I need one more boy, and one more line Record the track just one more time My family think I bump my head, lost my mind Insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But I need one more boy, and one more line Record the track just one more time My family think I bump my head Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy 